Hello and welcome to a special 19th century edition of Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, today we are reaching back into the archives. This uh, this goes back even before I was covering politics in Washington. Just barely. You weren't in the, you weren't in the press room for this one. <laughs> uh, a book that I have to give you credit for caught your eye. Uh, uh, we're very excited to have the author here. The Unexpected President, The Life and Times of Chester A. Arthur. Rick, I mean... I'm impressed. All I knew about Chester Arthur before this was the whiskers. That is, the some, th- Those are some great chops that, <laughs> that he had in the 19th century tradition. And, and the author is a, a good friend of mine and a former colleague at the Boston Globe, Scott Greenberger, who has rescued him from the dustbins of history in this really interesting, fascinating new book. Scott, thank you for joining us. And, and I have to confess, the way Rick kind of pitched this, just, just, just so we're completely clear and, and everything is above board, transparency... Rick said, I found the, 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 the perfect analog to Donald Trump. I found the president in our history that is most like Donald Trump. And I was like, Rick, this is great. So, so what do you have? What do you have? I, I figured, I mean, we, uh, Andrew Jackson, are we talking? Are we doing, you know, is there, do you have a Teddy Roosevelt uh, angle on this? What, what, where are you? Where are you coming? Scott, what do you think? How, why, why is Chester Arthur Donald Trump? There actually are a lot of parallels between Donald Trump and uh, Chester Arthur. They were both uh, wealthy New Yorkers uh, who had made their money uh, in what some thought to be maybe in in ways that weren't completely above board. Uh, Chester Arthur came to office uh, with very, very little experience. The... um, he had been uh, placed on the Republican ticket uh, as an afterthought to placate the boss of the uh, New York Republican machine. The, the great only Roscoe other, Conkling. The great Roscoe Conkling, a terrific character. And uh, the only other job that he had had was collector of the New York Custom House. It was a very important job at the time. Uh, but as someone noted when he was put on the ticket, uh, the only job he ever had was the one he was fired from. <laughs> Uh, He had been fired by uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, President Hayes, who was a reform-minded Republican. Um, uh, So anyway, there are a lot of parallels, but uh, I think that uh, the one that really uh, probably is most striking is the attitude of the country as Arthur prepared to take office. Um, You read the newspaper accounts of the time, and uh, it really could be the newspaper accounts from – uh, eight months ago, people, uh, most Americans were terrified at the prospect of this guy becoming president. Uh, the East Coast elites of that time viewed him as uh, corrupt, uh, as unqualified, unfit. Um, so there are there are parallels. So so let's let's just set the stage a little bit. This is uh, the election of 1880. James Garfield chooses Chester Arthur as his running mate. Garfield wins the election and then promptly on the way to his Williams uh, uh, reunion, uh, there, you, you, what, what Union Station, he gets, he gets shot. That's right. It actually wasn't Union Station. It was a different railroad station that no longer exists. But yes, but he was where shot. where was it in, in, in D.C.? It was on B, B Street, which I don't think there even is a B Street anymore. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what's there. But uh, yeah, so he was walking through. This was before there was a Secret Service. He was just walking through the train station on his way to catch a train um, north. To go up to Williamstown. That's right. And uh, a... Uh, a disappointed office seeker named Charles Guteau, uh crept up behind him and, and shot him. Um, now, Guteau was 
insane. I think it's uh, fair to say that he um, was not in his right mind. But the uh, the trigger for his act was the fact that he was denied a federal job that he thought was his due for having uh, helped out during the um, 1880 campaign. And that was uh, one of the, if not the most important issue of the time was this whole issue of jobs and the spoils system and civil service reform. And then something interesting happens. Well, a lot of interesting things happen. So first of all, Garfield doesn't die right away. He lingers for, for months through the summer of 1881. And, and, and this whole time, Chester Arthur knows there's a really good chance that he's going to be president of the United States. And, and as you mentioned, the newspapers, the country is kind of freaked out by the prospect. And this guy who, for lack of a better word, was kind of a hack. For, for most of his life, decides that he's going to be president in a different way. How does this transformation happen? Well, I think there are a few, um, uh, there were a few reasons why he, he changed. One was I think he was very deeply affected by uh, this summer and watching Garfield on his deathbed, really in agony. Um, and he felt some responsibility for that because uh, there was this split in the Republican Party between the reformers and Garfield was was of that uh, group who wanted to do away with the spoils, the so-called spoil system, and actually award federal jobs based on merit and not for political loyalties. <laughs> it's bizarre, yeah. Uh, so he was affected by that, and in fact, um, when Guteau shot uh, Garfield, he said, "I am a stalwart," which was that wing of the party, and Arthur will be president, which cast suspicion on Arthur and Conkling. Some people thought. Uh, and it was suggested in the newspapers that Arthur and Conkling had had something to do with the assassination attempt. So that was it was very shocking for Arthur to read uh, in the newspapers that people were some people thought that he had something to do with this. The other thing, um, and I pay a lot of attention to this in the book, um, he started getting these uh, these letters from this mysterious young woman in New York um, in her early 30s named Julia Sands. She had never. Uh, met Arthur. Arthur had never met her, but she was a political junkie. Um, and she started writing him letters, urging him to rise to the occasion. And, and she also was very familiar with his background. As a young man, he had been an idealistic lawyer. It helped desegregate the New York City streetcars. And sh she wrote him these letters, um, urging him to rise to the occasion to be a better person than he had been. And so this correspondence goes on over, over a long period of time. Someone, again, he'd never met. Right. She's housebound. Right. This is this is right. just a strange pen pal to have. And he takes this to heart all the way through to civil service reform. Kind of the last issue you think he'd champion. That's probably between that and the Navy. That's what you associate Chester Arthur with. If there's any if there's Other anything than the whiskers, then the whiskers. Right. Like, yeah. take that for granted. Well, civil service reform uh, was a, a huge issue. And it really, um, first of all, he surprised everybody because he was a product of the spoil system. And yet here he is pushing civil service reform. Um, but it really laid the groundwork for the progressive presidents to come, for Teddy Roosevelt and, and Wilson and these other presidents, because up to this point, the federal government had just been filled with hacks, people who uh, had their jobs because they had helped uh, the party in power to to gain power. And in fact, they were expected uh, and required to help the party remain in power by giving what were called voluntary assessments, basically mandatory campaign contributions. And he really be he started to, to change that system and really made it possible for the more activist federal government that we that we know today and that started to take shape a decade or so after his presidency. 
So what happens? Does he get credit for this? Does he become more popular to those that doubted him and thought this guy, this hack that had come in, uh, who was borderline corrupt, if not outright corrupt, all those doubts? What happens? Does he does he does he become somebody that is now lauded for for his turnaround, or or what happens? Well, he is lauded for his turnaround, um, but he he was caught uh, sort of in a difficult position as the eighteen eighty four election approached because the reformers didn't quite trust him and his old machine buddies and cronies from New York thought he was a traitor to them. So he didn't have a natural constituency heading into uh, the 1884 election. But he did get a lot of credit at the time. Um, And uh, when he left office, in fact, people, many newspapers commented on the fact that he had really been a terrific president, that he had uh, exceeded everybody's expectations, had had done a, 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 a a, a more than respectable job. And um, and in fact, when he died shortly after he, he left the White House, people said, uh, well, Americans will remember forever what Chester Arthur has done for the republic. In fact, as well, you know, Scott it hasn't quite turned out. Yeah. <laughs> one or two of us have remembered. A lot of us haven't. And when, one reason why, though, that, that we don't remember him is because he was so ashamed of the politician he had been before he became president that he ordered all of his almost all of his papers to be burned. Uh, upon his death, although he did specify that he wanted these letters. Is that like wiping a server? Is that kind of... It's like uh, wiping a server, (laughs) but he said, uh, he said, but please save, I order you to save the letters from Julius Sand, and they are at the Library of Congress, 23 letters. Um, But I think the fact that his, there's so little... Uh, material to work with has dissuaded other people from writing about him, and we've we've forgotten him except for his uh, facial hair, as you know. And you were able to draw newspaper accounts, which are quite colorful, and it's a really well written book. And I say that not just because you're a friend, Scott, <laughs> but it, because it's a it's a it is a colorful age with a colorful, you know, freewheeling press at the time. I want to hit on the, the the Gilded Age parallels that you talked to, because a lot of people talk about this as as you say as another Gilded Age. What what did the the society at the time, how did that contribute to the politics of that era? This is after the Civil War, after Reconstruction. It is known as the, the Gilded Age. America was growing in kind of unexpected ways. What were the anxieties that were animating politics then? Well, it's interesting. It was some, the, the anxieties then were some of the a- same anxieties that we deal with now. People were very concerned about the uh, the about money and politics, about the um, the fact that you had these uh, giant corporations now um, for the first time in American history back then that they would it, they were beginning to exert themselves in the political sphere, um, and so uh, and and the other parallels that we uh, that we see between the two periods include income inequality, which was a big uh, issue then. That was the first uh, time that Americans had ever heard the term millionaire was back during the Gilded Age. So. Um, it is really uh, interesting, uh, given the fact that many people refer to our current uh, time as a second Gilded Age, to take a closer look at the first Gilded Age and how uh, Americans sort of uh, worked their way through that and sorted out some of the um, uh, put in place some of the safeguards that were designed to prevent the corporations of that time from exerting too much influence. So you talk about the transformation. Uh, I'm taking on like the last issue you would have thought. This is I, it's kind of like a Nixon goes to China. You know, Chester exactly. Arthur takes yeah. on uh, uh, abuse from. of the spoil yeah. system. Um, and and you've talked about the parallel between the New Yorker that is now uh, in the White House. So is this a suggestion that we're going to see some kind of a of a transformation in Donald Trump, a la 
Uh, Chester Arthur? I mean, Rick, maybe you want to weigh in on this. <laughs> I, 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 I wonder if President Trump has some secret pen pal that we don't know about because <laughs> anything you say on t- the Julius Sands of this right, time, we yeah. don't see we don't see him changing a lot in office. That, that seems to me one big difference between Chester Arthur and, and, and President Donald Trump. We don't see indications that he is an evolving character. Uh, no, I think eight, eight months in, I think it's fair to say that uh, he is pretty much the same guy that uh, we saw during the campaign. Um, you know, perhaps for, for a while, I think people thought that uh, Ivanka would play the Julia Sand role, the young woman uh, who's sort of the uh, conscience of the of the president. Um, again, not, it's not not clear at this point that that's what's uh, what's happening. But um yeah, we'll see. People, uh, you know, uh, President Obama said uh, on the eve of the election and, and obviously encouraging people to vote for Hillary, he said uh, the presidency doesn't change people. It just magnifies who you are. Chester Arthur seems to to be uh, a counter example of that. Um, so far, Donald Trump seems to fit with what Obama said. But, uh, you know, he's got uh, some more time there. So we'll see what happens. And Scott, I have to ask before we let you go. Why Chester Arthur? I mean, if you were to just if you were to list presidents and uh, and quiz Americans on which of those names was fake, I think Chester Arthur's name would be high up. Most people could tell you literally nothing about him. And there's a string. Millard Fillmore, dude. Uh, it's, you know, hey, there's in the string of 19th century. The 19th century yeah. was a was. was yeah, so, so it is and, and a rela- just to jump on Rick's question yeah. there is, did you find the most obscure president? Is he the least written about president or does? Does, does, does Fillmore get in there? Well, um, Harrison. Uh, well, yeah, Harrison was only in office for about. Well, he was also only in office for about thirty days. I think he died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of material there. But he's a more famous figure. His yeah. grandkid gets elected president. I mean, uh, that's true. Yeah. You know, uh, Chester Arthur. I don't know. Uh, Tyler. Um, pretty obscure. Did you did you pick the most obscure president? I didn't. Uh, I think uh, by some. Uh, I think there's a poll they do of college kids uh, periodically where they do sort of what what Rick yeah. just said. They give you a list of names and they say, "All right, pick out the presidents and the ones who aren't presidents." And uh, Chester Arthur uh, very often ends up at the very top of the most obscure presidents list. Um, but I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it's fun to do something that hasn't been done before. Uh, as my brother said, you know, any fool can write about Lincoln. <laughs> he, he was he was kidding. <laughs> and he, and he, he was kidding. But uh, you know, it's fun to do something that hasn't been done before, and I think it is an interesting story. The story of uh, transformation really appealed to me. And again, I think um, uh, the parallels between his time and our own time are interesting. I, I'd like to say that I also knew in writing the book that there would be that we were about to elect a New Yorker, uh, wealthy New Yorker with uh, you know who was widely. Uh, considered to be corrupt and a clown, but I didn't know that. That happened after I wrote the book. So that's just uh, dumb luck on my part. Um, but I do think it's a, he has an interesting story. And one other thing that, that's appealing about him, you mentioned Teddy Roosevelt, and I've read a lot about him. Obviously, an extraordinary guy by any measure. I mean, if you think of all the people you might want to sit down and have a meal with, I, for me at least, Teddy Roosevelt's near yeah, the, top the top of, of list. list. He's the top. Of my list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Chester's maybe at the table now for me, but for most people, not. But but 
it's hard to relate to Teddy Roosevelt in a way. I mean, you don't meet people every day. You can't say, oh, I have a friend who's just like Teddy Roosevelt. You know, he writes dozens of books. He does, you know, he's a sheriff out west. Uh, <laughs> Chester Arthur is one of us. He's a normal guy who just through a succession of strange occurrences ended up as president of the United States. And he was as surprised as anybody else to end up there. And yet he found uh, it found it in himself to rise to the occasion and 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 um, serve his country. And I think that's uh, an interesting story, a cool story to tell. Well, thank you for sharing it with us. And Rick, a brilliant choice. Uh, but what's what's the next project? So we know who you're going to. Well, Millard Fillmore. OK, course. good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't I don't know. Yet. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, there are only what, 45 presidents. So it's tough to find one that hasn't been actually over. 44. 44, right. right. Yeah, because yeah. Harrison gets counted twice. Oh, that's I right. Mean, yes, it's, that's uh, true. Yeah. It's, it's a good trivia question. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. And and we've got to make this a tradition, Rick. I, I think we got to do a, you know, every once in a while, a 19th century uh, I edition. I, I, I agree. We'll go back into history, rescue someone from those whiskers that, uh, that yeah. obscure their image. Well, I mean, uh, he luckily he's got the whiskers, or else he wouldn't be remembered at all. <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. At all. So. All right. Well, we will uh, see you again with more topical uh, uh, news in our next edition. But I am all for uh, the 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 the, uh, the deep dive into history. Scott Greenberger, thank you for joining us. The book again, the unexpected president, life and times of Chester A. Arthur. Go out and buy it, and Thanks. of course, while you're doing it, leave us a review <laughs> on iTunes. Know. Yeah, Let's yeah. Go, go on iTunes. Leave us a review. Subscribe to our podcast. We have fun doing it and have fun uh, bringing stories like this. Talk to you next week. 